Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, September 13th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York. And it's hours after the Sunday night game, Taylor. But I got to tell you, I'm still saturated with game adrenaline from last night. I'm exhausted. Like, I only got like three hours of sleep. But what a crazy night at City Field. What a scene, man. Francisco Lindor, you know, finally putting on for the Mets. The fans are going crazy. Him and Giancarlo Stanton going at it. It was very exciting. Good weekend for you, too, because you called the game on Saturday on radio as well. So a lot of a lot of highs and a lot of emotions, I, I have to imagine. Yeah, very moving uh, 9-11 ceremonies by the Mets uh, before Saturday's game. They did a great job with that. And my thanks to Michael Kay. I, I did uh, that game with him on radio. And then last night's game, benches clearing, people running all over the place, yelling at each other. Francisco Lindor had a huge night. We'll get to all that in a moment. We're going to be talking about it with Tim Kirchin coming up. First, we'll start with this. The Dodgers and the Padres yesterday. Max Scherzer going for 3,000 career strikeouts. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed strike three. 3,000 strikeouts for Max Scherzer, becoming the 19th pitcher in Major League history to enter that very exclusive club. A standing ovation inside Dodger Stadium. Max Scherzer into the history books. The great Charlie Steiner, AM570 LA Sports. We're going to be talking with Tim Kirchin about whether Max Scherzer needs to be an unanimous selection for the Hall of Fame. Yesterday, he had a perfect game into the eighth inning, and this happened. There's a looper in the right field, long run for Betts. He can't get it. There goes the perfect game. There goes the no-hitter. A two-out, make that a one-out double for Hosmer at a standing ovation for Max Scherzer. The Dodgers win that game eight to nothing over San Diego. They swept that series. Uh, Jay Stingler, the Padres manager, talked after the series about how it was the worst baseball the Padres had played all year. On Saturday, by the way, there was a no-hitter. Corbin Burns, who is competing with Max Scherzer for the Cy Young Award in the National League, combined with Josh Hader for a no-hitter. Corbin Burns going eight innings. Josh Hader getting the last out. Here's what that sounded like. The one-two. A swing and a miss. Narvaez blocks, throws to first. Peterson touches the bag. Ball game over. It's a combined no-hitter for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Giants just keep on winning. They faced the Cubs yesterday. Wilmer Flores got a big hit. 3-2. Flores hits a high fly ball to left field. Carrying well. Rivas back. It is gone. Up into the bleachers. Wilmer Flores. Dave Fleming, KNBR, the Giants' magic number to clinch after the 6-5 to victory yesterday is down to one. On Monday, they could become the first team to punch their ticket to the postseason. The Toronto Blue Jays are so hot right now, and they have been feasting at the buffet of the Baltimore Orioles. They scored 11 runs in the last inning of a doubleheader on Saturday, and then listen to what they were doing early in yesterday's game. The 1-0. Hernandez swings and he drives it. Deep right field, stopping at the wall because it is gone! The Blue Jays with two grand slams! That from Sportsnet 590, the fan. The final score there, Blue Jays 22, Orioles 7. And at the end of Sunday, 
the Blue Jays would hold the number one wild card spot in the American League. All right, let's do a deep dive into what happened at City Field last night. In the second inning of Saturday's game, Taiwan Walker was pitching for the Mets. He gave up two homers, and then with Aaron Judge at the plate, Jonathan VR, the Mets' third baseman, called timeout. He went to the mound, and he was talking to Walker, and he was telling Walker that he thought he was tipping pitches, and he thought he heard whistles from the Yankees' dugout alerting the hitter to the type of pitch that was coming. Well, Jeremy uh, Hefner, the Mets' pitching coach, came out to the mound. All the infielders came in. And they talked about this. And after that, Walker changed something in his setup. He retired 16 straight batters. So remember that. Fast forward to last night. For five and a half innings, it was kind of a slog of a game. Maybe the most notable thing that happened was that slugger Aaron Judge had to leave in the third inning with dizziness. And Francisco Lindor got off to a great start in this game. One and one, the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball out towards right center field. Gallo back near the wall. Gallo at the wall and it's gone. A towering home run out to right center field. And Francisco Lindor has gotten this place going. And the Mets have the lead. It's now 4-2. to two. Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio with that call. It was 5-4 to four Mets. Bottom of the sixth inning, Lindor came to the plate again. Pitch. Swing and a ball drilled. Center field going back as Gardner looking. Gone. And Lindor, his second of the game, one from each side. Francisco Lindor will touch them all. And it's now 6-4. And as Lindor rounded the bases, he was yelling at some of the Yankees, making gestures as if he was whistling, making reference to what happened on Saturday night. Well, Giancarlo Stanton came to the plate in the top of the seventh inning. One runner on base. And this is what happened. Swing and a ball driven. Left center field, way back, and gone. Stanton absolutely crushes one. And just like that, we are starting over. It is 6-6. And a lot of Yankee fans here making some noise. A little bench clearing now. Stanton saying (laughs) something to Lindor as he went past shortstop. And now the bench is empty. And this is what we were talking about before. Boog saw Lindor yelling to the Yankees' dugout, and this is exactly what we referred to. And now the Yankees' bullpen is coming in. Yep. And the Met bullpen as well. So the bench is empty. The bullpen's empty. They were yelling at the Yankees' were at Francisco Lindor because he was yelling at them about the whistling. It was still tied. Bottom of the sixth inning, Lindor at the plate. Here's a pitch. Swing and a high fly ball right field. That one deep. That one back on its way. Gone. He's done it. Holy cow. His third of the night. Another towering blast for Lindor. And the Yankees are behind. It is now 7-6. The Mets on top. And the Mets win the game. At the end of the day, they were five games behind the Phillies and National League East. The Yankees a game behind Boston for the second wild card spot in the American League. But, of course, all the conversation after the game was about the chirping, the bench-clearing stuff that went on between the two teams. Here was Francisco Lindor explaining what happened. Yeah, Dustin. I, I So, talking to Glaver, uh, as I came around the bases, um, I, I did did the sign of whistle. I, I can't whistle hard. Um, but, yeah, I did whistle. Um, it was just 
over the past couple of days, I can't accuse them of them um, whistling for the signs because I'm not 100% um, correct, but I know what I heard. And I felt like there was um, something out of the ordinary going on. And uh, yeah, I, I heard what I heard. I, I'm not accusing them. I'm not saying they're doing it 100% because I don't know 100%. But he definitely felt that way. And I took, I took that personal. We, um, I took that personal. I, I wanted to put, you know, like runs on the board to help my team win. Marley Rivera reported after the game that the Yankees players say the whistling had nothing to do with pitch tipping. Wandy Peralta was whistling from their dugout. His, here's Giancarlo Stanton talking about what happened. Well, I didn't know exactly what he said, what he was saying to uh, Wandy and Gio and Glaber running around. So uh, just that, um, you know, if you got a problem with Wandy's, give it to Wandy. Don't be um, talking to multiple people, bringing, bringing everybody into it, especially running around the bases. Um, was... Um, my thought process, obviously, I didn't get all of that out uh, running around, but um, yeah, just let him know that. And um, but at the end of the day, uh, barring barring no uh, physical fights, um, talk is cheap. So um, the the talk is is out on the field, getting it done, getting the dub. All right, Buster, before we move on to our pal, Timmy Kirkshin, real quick, we got to promote 30 for 30 podcast and the undefeated present the King of Crenshaw. This four part series examines how Nipsey hustles life, death and legacy impacted the sports world, particularly in the NBA. Here, DeMar DeRozan, Isaiah Thomas and DeMarcus Cousins, among others, explore the realities of life as a black man in America. Nipsey's dedication to South L.A. and his community and how Nipsey inspired millions. The marathon continues the the King of Crenshaw, listen now on SiriusXM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And on ESPN Plus, Season 2 of Better Days, if there's a game someone's betting on it, stream Season 2 of Better Days, the Mike Greenberg-hosted series that brings the true stories of unforgettable gambling adventures to life. All episodes are now streaming only on ESPN Plus. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight.
And Tim Kirchin covers baseball for ESPN. Tim, that game last night, it was an absolute slog for the first five and a half innings. We were averaging about two innings per hour as these two teams were struggling. These two desperate teams were struggling to find pitching. And then the sixth inning, the whole thing explodes. You know, for what uh, Marley Rivera and I had heard about, you know, the Mets thinking that there was whistling going on, and then they react, and then Lindor starts yelling at the Yankees, and then the, the bench is empty when Stanton starts talking to Lindor. It was crazy, and the fans were into it. Yeah, and this is a classic Subway series between two frustrated teams right now. And from frustrated teams comes situations like this. Look, you're allowed to steal signs if the catcher is going to be lazy back there and and signal, but it's not well received. You know, Buster, I've seen two, three, you know, um, intentional box this year to get a guy off of second base, get him to third so he can't look in and steal the signs. This is still a very sensitive issue for these players. You're not supposed to be stealing signs in their minds, and yet everyone does it here and there, not using a trash can and everything else. So um, I'm a little surprised it escalated to this level. But again, this is what happens when you're the Mets and you've had a terrible collapse and you're the Yankees who, as of this morning, are out of the playoffs. Frustration boils over. Did you see it that way? Yeah, I got to say, I, I, you know, and we'll talk about Francisco Lindor. What a great night he had. And, you know, maybe this is a, n- a night that even if the Mets don't make the playoffs, he builds on going forward uh, in year one of a 10-year contract. But after hearing what happened on Saturday and watching it, and I was doing ESPN radio on Saturday night, I, I was kind of like, I don't know what the Yankees did wrong. Like, okay, they, according to the Mets version of it, Jonathan VR calls timeout in the second inning on Saturday, goes to the mound and says, hey, I think you're tipping your pitches because the Yankees seem to be whistling uh, when you're going to throw a certain pitch. And Jeremy after comes out, they make the adjustment. He changes setup. Walker was better after that. He stopped tipping his pitches and then they move on. Uh, This is a lot different than sign stealing where you're banging trash cans. This is to me anyway, I, I, you know, I, I've always thought that, you know, pitch tipping was absolutely fair game. Well, it is absolutely. Our our colleague Eduardo Perez is one of the greats of all time at noticing when a guy's tipping his pitches. And you, if you are, you got to stop it. And that's what VR did. And the, you're, I'm with you. The Yankees didn't do anything wrong here. It's the advantage they should be using when they recognize what's going on and if they can alert a hitter. Like I told you this, Buster. Ted Simmons, Hall of Famer, was the all timer at stealing you know, signs and, and watching things. And, and Robbie Alomar was the same way. And Ted Simmons passed it to Paul Molitor, Hall of Famer, who taught everyone else how to pick up on these things. This is gamesmanship. It's the way it's supposed to be. But again, with frustrated teams, gamesmanship can turn, can turn sour in certain ways. And I thought that that was part of it. Look, Francisco Lindor has had a, you know, what has been up to this point, a rough season, first season playing with the Mets, He's gotten booed. His production has suffered. He started to hit really since that whole thumbs down thing. And by the way, uh, during the bench clearing incident last night, I agree with Matt Vescursion. You have to give Brett Gardner some points for originality. As the bench is clear and the two sides are yelling at each other, there's Brett Gardner out there giving thumbs down to Francisco Lindor and Baez, uh, Javier Baez. Uh, but I think part of it is, is that Lindor almost like exhaling last night, you know, having a great moment, having a great night. 
And just the emotions came spilling out of him. I mean, you heard him post game. Uh, he was much more circumspect than he was during the game. He just he got really excited during a big moment for him. Well, and he should have. So he's the first Met ever to have a three homer game with the third one being a game uh, changing in the eighth inning or later, a go ahead homer in the eighth inning or later. He's also the first shortstop ever to hit three homers in a game against the Yankees ever. And he I mean, he had such a great night. It's the first three homer game in the Subway Series also. So this was historic on many levels. But. I think you're right, Buster. I think it's something like this that can turn him around. It's probably too late for this season to make the playoffs and really, you know, uh, save his season. But I think this was a good step in the right direction because that was, you know, three homers and hitting them from both sides. It's pretty impressive. And by the way, we might look back at that whole thumbs down controversy as being a good moment for Lindor because it's almost like it, you know, it, uh, it popped the bubble. Like they're clearly for him, it's been a rough year. He has has uh, has talked out loud about how he's been uncomfortable with the booing. And by Javier Baez talking about it and dealing with it, maybe, you know, that at the forefront that that just pushed it out in the middle where they could all uh, begin to make their adjustments. Lindor could begin to make his adjustments and talk out. It's almost like getting therapy, Tim. Yes. Yeah, I think he's been a little bit too kind and too polite about fans and his, well, not fans, but about his struggles and everything else. And I think I think he got a little bit angry. And it's hard to play when you're angry, especially in this sport. But maybe that's helping him in a way as he stopped being the politically correct guy. And he's saying, all right, forget this. I got to go play. I got to do my best every single night now. And it's starting to show. All right. This was a series of two desperate teams. Uh, the Yankees two lose two out of three games to the Mets. It could have been three out of three. They had a huge comeback on Saturday to win. What a mess their pitching is, Tim, as they sit here game behind uh, the Red Sox for the second wild card spot in the American League. Uh, Clark Schmidt started last night his first major league appearance in 350 days. And the information that I got back when I was asking the question yesterday about, you know, why Clark Schmidt on this day was that's who he got because <laughs> they've just had so many guys go down and there are not a lot of pitchers available uh, on that 40 man roster. And that's also part of the reason why day after day after day, we're seeing tied relievers coming out of that bullpen. Yeah, the Yankees obviously have all sorts of issues right now, Buster. And let's not forget, this comes off a series against the Blue Jays where they played four games and didn't lead have a lead in any of them. The last time that happened to the Yankees in a four-game series was in 1924 against the Senators. By the way, Walter Johnson didn't pitch in any of those four games, which is amazing. So, yes, the Yankees have significant issues now. The Blue Jays are a wrecking ball right now. The Red Sox, despite some struggles, seem to be hanging in there, and they've got – Oakland and Seattle right behind them. So this is a very precarious spot. And your column kind of said it all the other night about what happens now if the Yankees don't make the playoffs. Very, very interesting scenario. Do you think either the Mets or the the Yankees make the playoffs, Tim? Um, Well, I've said for the last two months, the Yankees are going to make the playoffs. And now I'm not so sure. The Mets are not going to make the playoffs. I'm pretty sure about that. And with the way Toronto's playing, um, I'm going to say the Yankees aren't going to make the playoffs. And I haven't said that in two months. And that just shows the struggles they have right now. 
Yeah, and after that uh, loss last night, they have to come back today at 2 p.m. and play a makeup game. Uh, the good news is they get to play the Orioles in a series starting on Tuesday, and Garrett Cole, in theory, is going to come back. He threw a bullpen session over the weekend. He's lined up to pitch with that uh, with that hamstring issue that he's been dealing with. Um, so, you know, quite quite a weekend between the Yankees and the Mets. All right. Uh, we'll start with this after what we saw on Sunday. Max Scherzer, dominant again. Tim, should he be a unanimous Hall of Fame selection? Well, he won't be unanimous, but he's a first ballot. There's no doubt about that. Buster, you look at 3,000 strikeouts. The wins, 189. Uh, the ERA, which was 3.15 going into yesterday, might have gone down in another great outing. And a winning percentage, he wins 66% of his starts, of his decisions. That's a Hall of Famer. Only Pedro Martinez and Roger Clemens have those numbers on the, on those four categories, win, winning percentage, strikeouts, and ERA. That's how good Max Scherzer's been, not to mention three Cy Youngs and seven consecutive years in the top five of the Cy Young voting. And he might win it again this year, and you add in a 20 strikeout game, two no hitters, and three immaculate innings. To me, that's <laughs> that's a uh, 100% Hall of Famer. He's not going to get 100% of the vote, but he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Period. And I'm not sure he was two years ago, but he is now. So after Corbin Burns had that amazing performance on Saturday, a combined no hitter with Josh Hader. Tim, I went on ESPN radio and I told the host, look, that's probably it for the National League Cy Young Award. The Corbin, Corbin Burns has now put himself with that milestone in a place that nobody's going to catch him. And then Max Scherzer did what he did on Saturday. And now I got to retract all of that. Here are the numbers as of this moment. Max Scherzer, 2.170 RA, Burns, 2.25 in whip. Scherzer, 0.82, Burns, 0.91. Strikeouts. Scherzer's got 219. Burns has 210. Their innings are fairly close, uh, as opposed to Walker Bueller, who's got something like 35 more innings than Burns, about 25 more innings than Max. Who you got, Tim? Scherzer, Burns, Walker. Uh, I picked Walker Bueller at the beginning of the year, but I think he's third, a very close third right now. Uh, I think Burns is still the slight, slight, slight leader, but anyone who would vote for Max Scherzer, no problem here. I had a buddy of mine, basketball player, call, texted me last night, Max has got to be the Cy Young. And I said, well, go check out Corbin Burns. Then he sent me like 10 more texts as he was comparing these two guys. It's that close. So I'm going to say Corbin Burns is the Cy Young winner for this moment, but it is too close to call. And this is when you win that award in the last two and a half weeks of season. Whoever pitches better is going to win. That's how close it is, not just with two, but with three guys. And Max Scherzer is going to go down in history as one of the great trade deadline acquisitions of all time. You know, the hired gun moving from one team to a contender. He now has a 0.88 ERA and eight starts with the Dodgers, uh, winning all of his starts. No pitchers uh, since earned runs became official as a statistic in 1913 has ever had a lower ERA in their first eight starts with a team. Tim, the Giants' magic number for clinching a playoff spot is down to one. Okay, just a playoff spot. It's not about clinching nationally west. So I got to ask you about celebration etiquette. If the Giants clinch a playoff spot tonight, should they celebrate that or should they wait for 
uh, the the division. You know, given the context, the Giants, where we thought coming into the year they weren't going to contend. Well, I'm 64 years old, so uh, I don't think they should celebrate tonight. But it, when they clinch a playoff spot, because they're so far ahead. Um, but in today's day and age, if they do, I, I don't have a problem with it. I would not recommend it. Their goal is to win the division. They have to win the division for this season to be where it needs to be for them. So I would just uh, I'd give some firm handshakes and say we will pop the champagne when we win the West. That's how I would do it. I'm sure I'm in the minority on that. But I think bigger things are ahead. And once you win your division, which is the goal at the start of the season, that's the, that's the goal. All right. Before we go, got to ask you about the Orioles. What an unbelievable weekend. <laughs> what an unbelievable weekend in that series against the Toronto Blue Jays in all the runs that they allowed. What would you make of all that? Well, let's go back to the first game of that doubleheader. They gave up four in the seventh and lost. Then they have a no-hitter through six innings in the second game of the doubleheader. It gave up 11 runs in the seventh and lost. So the Blue Jays became the first team since the New York Giants in 1934 in a doubleheader to score 15 runs in their final at-bat on one day. Of uh, So the, the it's been that long since any team gave up that kind of uh, runs uh, amount. And then, of course, yesterday they gave up uh, 16 runs in the first three innings of the game. So now we've determined since 1920, no team has ever given up that many runs, 27 in any four inning span in the history of baseball. The second most was also against the Orioles by the Rangers 2007 in the 30 uh, to three game. They scored 25 runs in the last four innings of that game. It just it just speaks to Buster. The the Orioles pitching is indescribably terrible, especially out of the rotation. And I'm sorry, I, this this is piling on, but this is embarrassing when a team is that bad. Um, the Blue Jays are a wrecking ball. I don't know how you contain them, but to give up 24 hits in a four inning stretch like that is just terrible. And good for the Blue Jays, bad for the Orioles. Tim, the Orioles have 19 games left, and they've allowed 857 runs. There's a chance that they will allow 1,000 runs in the 2021 season. That would be unbelievable that they would be that bad. Right. All right, sir. All right, Buster. Thanks, Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Thanks, Taylor. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, 
surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. On Sunday, Book Shambi caught up with Yankees manager Aaron Boone. Give a listen. Here with the manager of the New York Yankees, Aaron Boone, and so much to get to. I haven't seen you in a while. Let's start with the important stuff. USC lost last night, but the Eagles won today. How do you feel about that? Well, that's a mixed bag right there, Boog. Yeah. Um, yeah, not a good showing by the Trojans last night, but definitely a good one by the Birds tonight. So hopefully we can go two out of three and the Yankees can grab one tonight. Tell me about your season. It's been an odd season, up and down. How would you describe it in terms of kind of the roller coaster from your seat? Yeah, it's been. It's definitely been that way. I mean, take it back to 2020. You know, with with everything that last year presented and the challenges there. It's just been. It's just been a very up and down uh, couple of years. Um, but we sit here in the middle of September with you know a tremendous opportunity in front of us and hopefully our best baseball still in front of us and uh you know ultimately you want to be at this point playing meaningful games and and we're doing that if you were to go back to when you got the job in 18 if you could take stock of some of the stuff you know now there's one or two things you could advise 2018 aaron boone on that you've learned what would some of them be I don't know. I think the biggest thing is, is, and I tried to prepare myself for this in my mind going in, is that there's going to be so many things that come across the desk every day, many relating to baseball, some not relating to baseball. You know, we're a, we're a group of 50, 60, 70 people when you talk about staff, players, front office that are together all the time, and, and you are like a family, and things happen. Things come up. Um, so, you know, part of the whole thing is being able to navigate that all and, and make sure that uh, we're putting our best for, foot forward when we go out there each night between the lines. But I think just the heads up that, you know, there's a lot of things that happen uh, that you're not going to account for. It's a lot, right? Our old colleague, David Ross, jokingly says, you know, everybody says I have an open-door policy. Rossi says I have a closed-door policy because if my door is open, someone's coming in every single time. Well, I haven't adopted that yet. I try and still keep that open door. I, I, do, fi- I do find that the door is closed a lot because I'm having conversations because the door was already open. So that happens every now and then, but I'm trying to keep that open door policy. And the one good thing is, uh, I do love, uh, coming to work with, you know, our guys and my staff each and every day. Explain to me a little bit before we let you go, your offense. It's weird. You're looking at a Yankee team. That's not in the top two or three and runs scored. Um, not in the top two or three in slug. What's happened there? How do you explain it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been a grind and we've been trying to find our way all year. You know, I would, chop it up in a few different times the first couple months we really struggled offensively even when we started to play well it was we were being carried by our pitching and our defense and then you know closer to the middle of the season and beyond the offense has been much better it's still not to what i believe it's 
should be or even going to be and that's why I'm still hopeful that our best days are ahead of us there because I do believe in in the group we have by and large with our position player group we're fairly healthy right now and feel like we can run out a group that's capable of being among the best in the game offensively last thing as someone who's been connected to New York as a player and now as a manager what was yesterday like in terms of 20 years ago and September 11th amazing um they did such a good job here of uh you know honoring you know that day and and the tragedy that went on and um you know it was a, a glimpse of you know i think in a lot of ways we saw the best in humanity on 9/11 and in the world we live in now where we're oftentimes very polarized i felt like last night you saw a glimpse of of, a, of that coming together that we saw around 9-11 and uh, that was pro- properly honored last night and it was a it was a great night good to see you good luck tonight all right buddy bleacher tweets Alrighty, buster bleacher tweets for a monday kyle benning is first up for the week at kyle underscore benning kyle writes and did lindor overcome any of the negative vibes he had with the mets fan base between underperforming after the big dollars and thumbs down incident with his three home run performance Sunday night against the Yankees as he now a Mets folk hero. I heard Matty V on the broadcast say something similar like, oh, it's all over. But I don't really think that is totally true right now. No, I, I agree with you. When Matt said that, I, I felt like, nah, I don't think he's like nothing that happens going forward matters anymore. I, I think it's more of you know what, he's created a new foundation for himself to move forward, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, because it doesn't look like the Mets are going to make the playoffs this year. But moving forward, if he, you know, plays a lot better next year and in the last years of his contract has a, you know, a very dis- different relationship with Mets fans, people are going to remember that night. There's no doubt about that. For sure. Last one for today, Billy Flanagan at Billy Flan. Billy writes in, could Lurie Garcia's walk-off home run with two strikes, no less, against the Red Sox be a pivotal moment for each of these teams? Seems you can't ever count the White Sox out, which is the type of team that usually makes a deep postseason run. Yeah, Billy, we've been talking, uh, we talked a lot in August about how the White Sox look like a team that could be really dangerous in the postseason um, the question is going to come down to these this rash of injuries that they have. You know, are they going to be able to get their rotation together? Uh, will they be able to hold have their whole pitching staff together? They have a ton of talent. There's no question about it. And look, uh, when you consider the scope of the American League playoff field, it's not like we look at, you know, the Rays or the Astros or the White Sox, for that matter, or the Blue Jays as being an unbeatable team. In fact, as we sit here today, I, you know, the Blue Jays are a team that would be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. They look like a buzzsaw right now. Send in your tweets, hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter, and please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's it for today. My thanks to Tim Kirkchen, Taylor Schwenk, Aaron Boone, Boog Shambi, Marley Rivera. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast.